Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Andrew Scott, business owner, speaker and all-round hospitality champion. Coming up on today's show... Andrew describes a typical Wednesday night in... You've got the black tie on, you're looking all very, very swanky. And next minute the tie's off, three buttons are undone, you've lost a cufflink and your hair looks like you've been dragged through a fence. Phil gets a wee bit Scottish on us. Alright man, how you doing? And Andrew proves that in hospitality, anything really is possible. The owl would fly down the chapel and deliver the wedding bands. All that and so much more as Andrew talks us through his story and journey to date, as well as some incredible golden nuggets of general business and life advice. In addition, Andrew has a wonderfully positive message about hospitality and believes we should all be shouting from the rooftops about how amazing it is. I have to say, I completely agree. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, I'm retreating to my homeland as I head back to the north of the border, so I might have to apologise in advance as you might not be able to understand the word of this podcast, depending on where you're listening to it. My guest today is a, a real prominent figure in Scotland. That sees him having his fingers in a number of perfectly formed pies, including being the founder and director at Heaven Scent, which is a highly decorated hospitality business comprising of event catering, vending, five-star visitor attractions, and an artisan award-winning coffee shop, as well as now being the MD at Victus Catering Consultancy, a hands-on consultancy working with new and established businesses in helping them move forward, as well as training and some public speaking shenanigans as well. So I'm delighted to welcome to the show, Andrew Scott. Thank you so much. That is quite an intro. That's a, wow, no pressure then. Brilliant. (laughs) And do you know what? That's actually my longest ever intro, I think, as well. I was Because uh, normally I fit the intro into to one page of a little A5 scroll. Uh, I've had to go over onto the second page with you. So, um, yeah, you've got an, a lot to live up to. Well, I will certainly do my damnedest. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, delighted to be part of it. I've been following your podcast. I've looked at the other interviews you do. As I said, there are some big shoes to fill. So let's give it a bash. Uh, I've been told to speak slowly and clearly for any guests that don't quite get the Scottish banter and dialect. So we'll we'll take our time and we'll, we'll plod through. Yeah, this will be four hours later then, won't it? Because um, the, the thing that happens with me is as well is that I, I live in the south now down near London and uh, my accent softened over the years. But what happens when I, I start talking to somebody from north of the border again is that I just revert back into, all right, man, how you doing? <laughs> Easily done. I remember years ago being in America. Uh, and we're off to a tangent already. And I was at the United yeah. Center watching a basketball game. And it was the Chicago Bulls. And it was back in the era of Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman. And a lady said to me, oh, my God, are you from Scotland? And I said, yes. And she basically made me sit and do the whole brave heart. Right then, are you ready for a fight? Sons of Scotland. And I thought, I'm, I'm sitting watching one of the greatest sporting events of all time. And I have to sit and entertain you like a puppet because, yeah. <laughs> because of the Scottish voice. But hey-ho, it's what it is. Yeah, I had the, the same, not the exact same story, but in America, I, had, um, I did a student exchange in America when I was 19. And I was working as kind of, I suppose, manager if you want to call it that of a, an 18 bedroom motel 
And um, all of these people coming in fascinated by my accent. And I had, honestly, nobody could place where I was from. Uh-huh. Or like, oh, I had one that said, oh, my God, are you from Sweden? <laughs> I was like, well, it begins with S and it's in Europe. So yeah. that's not, not bad. Yeah, close but no cigar. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, yes, uh, we digress already, as you say. So where in the world are you today? So I am in the thriving metropolis of Milnathort. Now, most people haven't heard of it. Uh, There used to be a big music festival in Scotland called Tea in the Park, and it took place in a place called Kinross. So it's literally, it's a mile from there. So geographically, I am about 30 minutes north of Edinburgh, 10 minutes south of Perth, and on the way towards St Andrews. Lovely. And what a fabulous part of the world that is. It's lovely. It's it's handy for getting everywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, well, before we get stuck into what you've got your, your head into these days, let's go all the way back to, to the beginning. Um, yes. How did you get into this industry and just walk us through your your life and career from there okay brilliant okay get comfy uh, you know get the kettle on get the pack of biscuits <laughs> out here we go uh i think if i go back to my sort of my youngest memory of hospitality because i've only ever worked in hospitality i know no other field i was 13 i grew up in newton Mearns on the south side of glasgow and i had a bacon run so i was one of these boys that would go down the doors chapping the doors, selling streaky, smoked, unsmoked bacon, cheese, eggs for a local dairy. And at Christmas time, you would sell women's tights, you would sell umbrellas, you would sell pens. And I just loved the sort of the wheeler dealer, try to cut a deal, knowing that if the person I was working for wanted £2 back for a pack of bacon, if I could sell it for two fifty, I'd made 50p. And that 50, <laughs> 50p was going to me. And as you know, the tight Glaswegian thinks that 50 could pretty much become 60. How do I do some upselling? And I met, I met a guy one night when I was doing my, my bacon run who was doing his paper run, doing the one penny a paper free local newspaper around the doors. And he said, listen, Andrew, there's a country club around the corner called Parklands Country Club. And it's opening tonight for a drop in addition for, for staff. And I thought, a drop in addition? And he said, it's first come, first serve. And I said, do me a favour, hold my bacon box. And I ran and thought, I'm going to beat him to it. And I went and got the job. And I became, at the age of 13, the first kitchen porter for this new opening of a five-star country club. Wow. That was it. Literally, I was in the door two days. I think I was, say, 13, 14, uh, probably because I was painfully tall. They assumed I was older and didn't really check. Weren't looking for references. Knew I was just a guy at school looking for a job. And I became a kitchen porter, but I knew on day number one, this was it. There was a noise, there was a smell, there was a heat in this kitchen that I just, I couldn't even describe to other people. There was grown men working in a sort of six traditional corner system. There was a sauce corner, the larder, the pastry. There was a guy doing the grill. An order would come through, Samaj, check on, one this, two that. And all you hear back was, yes, chef. And they were just making, I thought, this is absolutely... It would have been, uh, aye, chef, wouldn't aye, it? Aye, chef, right, come aye. at you. And it was, just, it was just brilliant. And I very quickly realised that although I was enjoying doing the dishes, I was fascinated by what the guys in the kitchen were doing. So I spoke to the head chef to say, look, see out with my KP shifts, my kitchen porter shifts, could I start working with a chef and just doing anything? So very quickly, I was getting taught how to make sauces and stocks and syrups and how to turn vegetables and just 
literally get myself engrossed in all things hospitality. And that was it. It was just the most baptism of fire. So I did that. Uh, and I did that through school. And it just, I just, I knew then that maybe I didn't always want to work in the kitchen, but I definitely wanted to work in hospitality. It was just, it's so hard to tell people now about it, what it was like then. But that was, that was what I would call proper, proper hospitality. And it was brilliant. I could walk to work. I did split shifts. I would start at seven in the morning on a Saturday, finish at three, go back in at night time. And as my friends were out there learning how to chat up girls or doing their driving lessons, I was into, you know, sauces and stocks and syrups and reductions and studied onions and bechamels and brat pans and salamanders and rationales. And I just, Fantastic. I just got it. Carried on at school, left school and went to the city of Glasgow College uh, did my three-year HCIMA in hospitality management, but during that time did a million jobs. I was a door steward because I was tall. I was a chef. I was a waiter. I was a barman. And all you're doing is you're collecting your knowledge. You're you're building your arsenal of what you you know. You're finding out you know where do you sit in this hospitality tree. But one thing I always found that I was good at was people. I got people. I was quite a good judge of character. I would always try and find the the positive in a situation because hospitality is it's a difficult, difficult industry. I mean, especially now more than ever. But I just I always looked at the you know I'm 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 getting a chance here. I'm being given an opportunity to shine. Yeah. So finished my HCIMA uh, as I say through Glasgow College of Food Technology. Did my wee placement in Toulouse in France. We, we won a couple of competitions and I thought, yep, this is great. But I knew that the kitchen was just giving me the, the means to get out front, I suppose. So it came to the end of my HCMA and I was struggling to pass because I'd set up a wee catering company called Croc Monsieur, you know, the old toasted cheese and ham sandwich. Yeah, um, yeah. What still has its place? Oh, doesn't it? It's, it's a thing of beauty. Yeah. And I, I was running two rugby clubs in Cumbernauld. I had the kitchen on both. And we were doing all these different dinners and event catering and uh, visiting rugby team catering and your pies and your stovies and your uh, mac. Oh, my God, stovey. Stovey. I mean, so for people that, that don't know the old stovies, I mean, we there's that debate, you know, is it is it, link, is it is it lawn sausage? Is it roast beef? Is it dripping? But we were making a big pot of mashed potatoes with onion, gravy, and the, 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 the leftover bits of beef. And it was filling these guys' tummies after a good game of rugby. So as a result, I was, how do I word this diplomatically? I was basically failing college and because I was more interested in making money. So right. one of my lecturers said to me, I'm going to make you a deal. We'll help you pass because we see good in you. You're a good person. You know, you do what it says in the tin, but we want something back from you. And when the time comes, we'll cash in that favour. So that's fine. So roll forward. I've finished the qualification. I've now passed it. And an opportunity arose again through this lecturer for they were looking for a hotel general manager on the bonnie banks of Loch Lomond. And I was only 21. So I'd left college at 19, I think it was. I'd gone and worked in Kinross, a nice four-star hotel. I was the assistant manager. I looked after food and beverage, which tends to be the, the area that I, I still, I would say, specialize in. And the lecturer phoned me and said, we've got friends that are area manager of three wee hotels in Scotland would like you to come and talk to them about being general manager of one of them. 
And I said, look, flattered as I am, I'm 21, 22. I'm not ready to be a general manager. He went, no, no, we think you are. So I went, interviewed wow. for the uh, Inverbeg Inn, now known as the Inn at Loch Lomond. And at the age of 22, I became uh, a, a general manager of a four-star hotel. And I look back now and thought, would I employ me if the, if the shoe was another foot? Would I, Billy? Oh, never. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, uh, there's, there's probably there's stories of that, I, I think, in, in quite a lot of people's stories, is that you, you often need somebody to see something in you that you don't see yourself. Well, I, I mean, I've, I've got, uh, I'm going to sidetrack slightly here. Uh, when you're at college, you've got to go and do work placements. And I went, you know, people spun the globe and they went to France, Spain, Italy, Germany. I spun the globe and went to Pitlochry, which for people wow. that know Pitlochry, it's, it's a lovely wee village uh, in Perthshire, uh, up the A9, heading up towards the Highlands. And I went up there to learn how to be an assistant manager. And the owner sat me down the first day and said to me, are you going to steal from me? I says, No. You're going to work hard? Yes. You're going to drink a lot of beer after your shift? Absolutely. Then you'll do for me. And <laughs> are, you, are you still using that recruitment technique today? Pretty much. It, it doesn't work quite as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the no drink driving laws in Scotland. Well, that's and true, yeah. I'd, I'd been there in Pitlochry about a week and he said to me one day, I want you to do me a favour. I want you to go to the bank. Here's a hundred quid in change. I want you to get me notes. And the inquisitive side of me thought, Nobody ever goes to the bank with change to get notes. They go with notes to the bank to get change. This doesn't make any sense. So I went down and I, I handed in this £100 in change. And the lady said to me, you're wrong, sir. It's actually £110 here. I went, all right. So I took it back up. It says, John, here's your 100 quid back. And he went, ah, I got you. And I went, and your extra tenor. I said, I don't know what game you're playing or what you're trying to trap me. But see if you think I'm stealing a tenor for you or from you for the sake of risking my whole college qualification, you've got another thing coming. If I'm going to steal from you, pal, I'm taking the whole safe. I'm not taking a tenner. <laughs> and that was my sort of, you know, my, my look at how do people judge other people. And that was brilliant. I ended up uh, leaving college on a Friday. I would travel up the A9, start at three o'clock, do a Friday night, all Saturday, all Sunday, leave at six in the morning, Monday, travel back down to college, do my, my course, stay at my mum and dad's during the week, and then back up again at the weekend. Wow. So I just, I liked work. I just, I liked grafting. I liked the people you meet, the stories you tell, the banter, the acquaintances. So going back to the, the Inverbeg, that then said to me, do you know what? If I give it all, if I am humble and have humility, and if I make a mistake and put my hands up, and then we as a team collectively uh, fix it, if we go down the mindset of it's not a blame culture, then I can't do any worse than anybody else. And the hotel had been a McDonald's Hotels franchise or a McDonald's Hotels uh, managed hotel prior to me going there. And there'd been something like 16 managers in six years. And I thought, you know, why are these people not lasting? So it was bought over by a company called Scottish Selection. I went in as GM and I lasted seven years. And I just, I just got it. I, I surrounded myself with like-minded people. Branson talks a lot about he doesn't drive his own trains and doesn't fly his own planes. And that was my mindset. Find people that are better than me at cooking, better than me at cocktails, better than me at housekeeping, and manage these people accordingly. And I thought very quickly, I need to almost become the conductor of the orchestra. I understand everybody's job and what they do, but realistically, I have to play none of them. Yep. So it was all going well. And then 
the, the old food tech lecturer phones me back up and says, do you remember how you owe me? I said, oh, I, I've forgotten him. <laughs> he said, I've got a sport and hospitality management class that we've got a guest lecturer spot every Tuesday. How do you feel about coming and teaching these kids how to do bookkeeping and accounts? And we'll give you the manual. You work your way through it and teach them trial balance, break-even, double-entry bookkeeping, profit and loss, reconciliation, GPs and margins. And I thought, okay, okay. So I did that. It's my day off. It was always a day's off. was a Tuesday, Wednesday. So I taught at the Glasgow College for a year and all going swimmingly well until one day there'd been an older student. I remember a guy called Robert had been in the class who had been an ex-accountant but was now back wanting to retrain into sport and hospitality management. And I was doing a, a big sort of, you know, sales, less cost of sales gives you gross profit, less operational cost gives you net profit. And he puts his hand up and went, Andrew, I think you're wrong. <laughs> and I thought, oh, dear, dear. And that was the sort of lesson of, see if you don't know, just say you don't know. You, can, you know, don't, 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 uh, don't pull the wool over people's eyes. Just, you know, have humility, know what you can do, know what you can't do, and know your limitations. So, yeah, I, but I think people um, respect that more. I think you, you know, do now. That's my experience anyway. Yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah that's probably a, a good caveat, actually. Now they do, but maybe yeah. 10, 15 years ago, you, you know, it was a sign of weakness, wasn't it? If you don't know what you're doing, why are you in that job? 100%. I mean, at the age of 22, I grew a goatee beard and started wearing glasses just to try and look older. <laughs> I more seriously and thought, he knows what he's doing as opposed to, why on earth is somebody giving a four-star hotel to this boy? And uh, so, again, but the, what the lecturing experience taught me was about how to speak to people, how to manage people, how to manage your time, how to manage expectations. So as time went on, the owners said to me, look, you're doing a great job with Inverbeg. We'd like you to take on more responsibility. We've got a hotel in Bridge of Orkey. We've got a hotel up in Tongue. So I started getting involved with looking at business development, strategy, standards, blah, 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 with those two. Then we had involvement in a hotel in Edinburgh called Agenda, one in Glasgow called Agenda. And then the owners got me involved in opening what is now the Hilton uh, Garden Court on the Clyde side in Glasgow. But back then it was called City Inns. So I stood, oh, uh, yeah. do you remember that old school at the, the do, yeah. Hydro and the SECC? So I stood with the welly boots and the hard helmet on and the owner said to me, right, we'll get you into head office next week. Let's talk about this repositioning. Let's talk about city ends, agenda, Inverbeg, Bridge of Orkey, Tongue. So I get called to head office and head office is now the Ivy in St. Andrew's Square in Edinburgh. But back then it was a bank and the owners were brilliant. They used to say things like, Andrew, we want you to change the insurance. By the way, we own an insurance company. Speak to them. Andrew, we want you to bring in a new beer. Oh, by the way, we've got a controlling stake in Caledonian breweries. And I said to myself, I like this idea of having your finger, like you said in your opening gambit, which was brilliant. How do you have your fingers in many, many pies so that if one area of your business goes quiet, dries up, ceases trading, you've still got other stuff to to keep the bills getting paid? Yeah. So you know, that, that opening was a complete fluke. I didn't do that. Genius. It was, I didn't know that this was yeah, coming. That was brilliant. Uh, so I'm sitting in St. Andrew's Square in Edinburgh. The boardroom table was absolutely ginormous. The two owners at one end, me at the other end, them almost on sort of elevated seats and my seat slightly lower. And I thought, interesting power struggle, you see. 
And <laughs> we spoke about RevPan, TrevPan, average spend, and EBITDA, and sleeper diner conversions, and periods three, and it was all very, very high tech. And then it happened. This, you know, people talk about that moment. What was the moment? Well, this was my moment. The two of them said, Andrew, when you get to 60, you want to buy yourself a yacht. I said, all right, cracking, great. Now, I knew I was driving an NREG Ford Escort, N653 ASC. And I knew I had a quarter of a tank of petrol. And I knew, you know, every single penny what I was earning. And I was, I was earning good money because I had obviously quite a multi-leveled, layered, complex job. And one yeah. owner turns to the second owner and he says, and I quote, Andrew, when you get to 60, you want to buy yourself a yacht. And I went, all right. And I said, do you guys have a yacht? And the first owner looked at the second owner who looked back at the first owner and said, yes, I think it's in Helensborough Marina. Right. I'm like, what's that? They went, we think it's in Helensborough Marina. To which I said, you think you've got a yacht and you think it's in Helensborough Marina. I've just realized, guys, I can't do this anymore. I don't, I don't want to do this. I've just realized I'm actually helping you live your dream. This isn't my dream. I don't want to do this. This, right. was, this was all stepping stones to the, the bigger prize for me. And I, I didn't know what that prize was. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in fate. You know, and as my granny says, you know, what's for you won't go by you. And just you know, bide your time and things will come to those who are patient. And I thought, I don't want to do this. And this, I, 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 don't, I, I can't do this. So there and then at that meeting, with nothing to go to, I handed my notice in. And I felt absolutely tremendous until I got back outside into my company car that they owned, driving back to the hotel and went, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> I knew just through perseverance that, you know, I'm not going to die a winter. I'm, I'm going to have this. So I... I'd saved quite a lot of money because I worked so much. I'd bought a flat in Glasgow. I'd rented it out. So I literally, I cashed in all my chips and I tried to buy a eight-bedroom hotel in Calendar. And I knew I wanted to go at it myself. And I'd used these seven years of running somebody else's business as if it was my money. And I made the decisions as if it was my money. You know, I would price comparison everything. Is this the best use of everybody's time? Is, yeah. it, is this the most cost-effective? And not always the fact it's the cheapest, but is this the, is this the best product? So when I went self-employed, my dad actually sat me down and said, I think, son, you could still go self-employed, but you could still run the hotels because of the good income. I thought, no, no, if you're going to do it, you give it 100%. So I'm lined up to buy this hotel. The bank have lined up the money. Uh, I've done my business plan. Heads of terms have been signed. And then I was, I was saying goodbye to the guys at the hotel up in Tongue, and the phone call went, and I went, oh, here it comes. And somebody higher up in the bank had reviewed my business case or my business plan and thought, this guy will not pay the money back based on the money he wants to borrow. So they pulled the plug. Right. I, I literally went from overnight being a big fancy area manager, nice car, boat on Loch Lomond, the motorbike, the jet ski, to cashing it all in to having nothing. Hmm. Money. Wow. But I had no job. So... When I, How old were you then? 22, I went to Emberbeg, 28 when I left Emberbeg, so I was 28. Right. Yeah. Uh, and lots of my pals had then sort of settled down, married, engaged, kids had been traveling. And I remember talking to a friend when I'd been at the hotel and he said, what have you been up to? And I told him about all the things I'd done for work. And he went, no, what have you been up to? What have you done for you? What have you done that, you know, if, if today was your last day on earth, you go, do you know what I did? I did this and it was brilliant. 
And I couldn't think of anything that I had done because I was so busy working so hard for other people. Yeah. So I knew that the, the work ethic would, would see me through. So I, I kept on looking and I'd, I'd worked for two years at a place called the Green Hotel in Kinross. And I'd gone there before I'd gone to Loch Lomond. And so I knew of Kinross, I knew of the area, and I saw that a wee 22 cover cafe had come up for sale called Cafe 98. And I thought, this might be the stepping stones that I need to understand how to be self-employed. So I viewed it and it was minuscule and I'm six foot six and 18 stones. So there's a lot of me and I'd be ducking to go under the doors. I'd be ducking to go through the door to go into the kitchen. I could put my hands from left to right and touch the walls of either side of the kitchen. I thought, this, this isn't big, but do you know what? It'll allow me to understand how do you, it's very different running somebody's business for somebody when it's not your money. The day it becomes yeah. your money, you become obsessed. So I thought, I could use this wee cafe, Cafe 98, to learn how to properly hire and fire and recruit and deduction working sheets and go into the cash and carry. And do I go to Asda and buy an onion or do I go to Booker's? And if I go to Booker's, do I value my time? If I don't value my time, do I get a supplier? And I, I end up buying Cafe 98. So that we're now, this is the 1st of June, 2003. So we're, we're 17 years ago. And the day before, my pal, who was a big high flyer with McDonald's Hotels, had come in. We got a tin of paint. We painted the shop. We had been to Ikea, bought a few table decorations, a couple of literally new table covers. And the 1st of June, 2003, I I put my first toe into the waters of self-employment and literally haven't looked back. And it was just absolutely, I knew, you know how you know that on day one, somebody walks in and you think, I am responsible for every single part of that transaction. At people's disposable income to me, I, I want to respect it. I want to thank them. Uh, I want to say hello to everybody that comes in. I want to thank them for their business. I appreciate the fact that with a wee cafe, a cup of tea is a cup of tea. You can make a cup of tea in the house. So why would somebody want to come out and pay a pound, one fifty, two pound? It's because of the banter. It's the experience. Uh, I think it's Howard Schultz of Starbucks talks about that third place. You've got work, you've got home, and then you've got that, where do I want to go and hang out? And my remit with the cafe was, if Andrew and Phil could go in and have a meeting, if a mum and kids could go in, if a boyfriend and girlfriend or two couples or two partners go in, and it ticks the box for everybody, then it is what it is, and it's, it's not trying to be all things to all people. And... I recently saw a thing on Facebook and somebody was talking about, do you remember back in the day in Kinross? And I actually talked about when I had the cafe, the fact that we used to get about 150 school kids in in a 20-minute interval at lunchtime for a, half, for a half soup and a buttered roll or a, a cheeseburger or a rolling sausage uh, or, a, or a, a bacon sandwich. And we would have three or four staff and it would have uh, chafing dishes stacked to the gunnels, one person in the till, one person was the runner. I'd be in the kitchen and we'd be pumping food out just pumping food out but again very quickly i realized we are now full seven days a week from when we open to when we close but our costs are going up quicker than the the potential we've got for increasing prices so i knew this wasn't going to be sustainable forever so if 150 was a cup of tea yes i could put it to 160 170 but eventually people will say i'm not paying that because it's getting too expensive but our our, our wage bill was going up, our utilities were going up, our, all our operational costs were going up. 
So I knew it was time to find something else. So I had been looking at about two miles away from the cafe, there was a flower shop called Scent from Heaven. And I looked at it and thought, that's a massive big shop. I wonder if I could do what I've done here, there. Because I almost always felt that with Cafe 98, I was babysitting the previous person's business and just adding my sparkle, but it wasn't fully mine. Right. So I put an offer in, got this flower shop, and it's, it was enormous. And I thought, I'm going to be really clever here. I'm going to buy one of those door steward monitors, and I'm going to sit in the window for different days and different times of days and count how many people walk past. And if I could even get 5%, 10%, 50% of the people that walk past, perhaps I could then do some numbers on potential covers per day, potential average spend. And I remember sitting, it was a Tuesday, it was teeming down with rain, and I sat for four hours in the window. Now, remember, I've still got Cafe 98, it's still up and running and trading. And yeah. I sat for four hours, two miles away, two miles away, and nobody walked past. Nobody. Well, it was raining. It was right. well, But to be fair, we live in Scotland, you know. We, uh, well, our, that's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, why does that change anything? Our, uh, our summer is two days in July. That's and, right. Uh, nobody walked past, and I thought, made a bit of a boo-boo here. But that, that I suppose, there's, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. But I think that arrogance said, no, nah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So I wrote down the words, sent from heaven, scored out from, sent heaven. I thought, I'm going to call it heaven sent. And it's heavenly because it's in the community. Sent, as in S-C-E-N-T, the smell, the aroma of yep. coffee. And I, I'm going to try and bring, I suppose, London to Scotland. I'm going to bring city centre to the country. Do you know, if we were making a, a trailer uh, of your life, that line right there, I'm going to bring London to Scotland. Yeah. That's when the uh, that's when the really powerful music would kick in. Oh, brilliant. And, brilliant. Yeah. I love it. You heard it here first. Yeah, I love it. That's right. that. <laughs> I'm just checking there's no copyright infringement on that, but that's, <laughs> that's brilliant. So we, we get it in and we get it up and we get it running. And I remember after about six months, literally hemorrhaging from the first place to keep the second place open, thought, no, it's going to work, it's going to work. And what I found was I was actually diluting my own offering because people that were supporting the cafe were now coming up to the coffee shop. But I wasn't necessarily getting new people. Right. So time was right to sell the, the cafe. So I sell the cafe and I give the coffee shop, heaven sent, 100%. And that's my, if I, if I give any sort of advice today is you can't do something half-hearted. You've got to give it your all. You watch the Dragon's Den. Are you working full-time? Yeah, but you expect me to give you my money to invest in your product without doing something else? Absolutely not. Mm. So I, I gave it my all, and we started getting busier and busier and busier, and then we won a few awards for this, that, and the next thing. And just we kept on going, we kept on going. And as I say, this this was a, this would be 15 years this year, so this would be 2005. And it gets to about 2009. We've now set up our outside catering because people were coming into the shop, loving what we did for lunch and saying, could you supply our boardroom lunch with just a taste of what you do? So we set up our wee business doing a taste of heaven. And that was anything you can get in heaven sent, you can get in your workplace. We started doing outdoor catering, weddings, barbecues, pretty much everything. But again, you can't be all things to all people. And just because you can doesn't always mean you should. Here, here. Yeah. Uh, 
we, yeah, we became the wedding caterers at a couple of venues. Uh, one venue was just, it had, it had its own chapel in the grounds. They owned their own owl, the same owl that was used in one of the, some of the Harry Potter films. And the, the owl would fly down the chapel and deliver the wedding bands. I mean, just... Wow. Brilliant. Some yeah, that makes me want to get remarried. Oh, it's just, it's, honestly, it's dynamite. Just some brilliant stuff. To, uh, to, to the same woman, I should say. Yeah, I'm not, I'm right. remarried again. Yeah. 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 Can I just say, Phil, good point, well made, sir. Yeah, uh, well, she might listen to this. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, just to know, um, we're just so grateful. Uh, we did a wedding for a guy who had been, was employed by, by Tolkien's estate. And he wanted a Lord of the Rings themed wedding and he would take the books and translate them into different languages. And so we had tables with Bilbo Baggins and the Shire and Middle Earth stuff. So it was just everything to me about hospitality is fun. It's got to be fun. Yes, it's a serious business. And if you want to have a serious business, you have to treat your business seriously. But hospitality, in essence, I believe is not difficult. The clue is in the name. It's being hospitable. It's people, you know, we, we do three or four things. It's food, drink, it's, you know, accommodation, it's events. It's just, it's look after people. It's speak to people the way you wish to be spoken to. Yeah. So on the back of that mantra, we were approached by Knockhill Racing Circuit. And uh, in England, where you get Silverstone, uh, Brands Hatch, Donington, Croft, in Scotland, you really only get Knockhill. So we became the official appointed corporate caterer to Knockhill and we opened a restaurant up there called Canards. So we had that for, for 10 years. In amongst that, we felt we weren't busy enough and Heaven Sent, so we've now sold Cafe 98. We've got Knockhill, we've got Heaven Sent and the people that lived in the residential property above it got in touch one day and said to me, we're considering maybe moving. And I thought, oh, I, could I perhaps buy them out so went and got the money organized went and got funding begged borrowed and stole and managed to buy the residential property above heaven sent right so we've now got this this property above it and i said to myself how do we get people from downstairs to upstairs because it's two separate buildings i suppose but two separate entrances and i'd been down in london uh, at an event and i'd been taken to a place called the breakfast club and I watched people walking into a fridge and disappearing and not coming back. And I said to my friend, is this just me or is that perhaps the best thing I've ever seen in my life? <laughs> people get into a fridge and not coming back out. Little did I know the fridge, the full-size fridge was just covering a door. So as you opened the fridge, you were actually opening the door indirectly. And then we're going downstairs to a basement bar called the Mayor of Scaredy Cat Town. But to get back out of the bar, you went back up the stairs, but you didn't come back through the fridge you pushed a fake wall that took you into the male and female toilets. So people came back out through the toilet. So everybody in the restaurant is watching these people whispering a code to the door steward, dis very Harry Potter, disappearing yeah. through a fridge and not reappearing. And I thought, I need a bit of that in my life. So I, I came back up to the team up here and said, guys, I, I, know what, I know how we actually go from downstairs to upstairs. We take the adjoining wall we buy an old American Smeg fridge, we sink it into the wall and you open up the door and you climb through the Smeg fridge. You go from heaven sent to heavens above, up the cliche, stair, up, up the stairway to heaven. So so we did this and the staff kind of go, oh, he's done it again. He's lost the plot. I said, go with me, go with me. 
Smith. I was going to say, I can, ima- I can just imagine that conversation where everybody's just sort of looking at each other going, what? Yeah, I mean, absolutely bonkers. And, you know, a lot of my team have been with me a long, long time. And they, I suppose their job is to keep me in the path of straight and narrow and sort of compliant and PC. But, but I think sometimes when you've got that nugget of gold, you go, I know what we need to do. I'm not too sure how to do it, but I know what we need to do. Yeah. So we, we did that. And I thought, see at the back of this, the number of people that are coming and they're photographing their kids at the fridge door or their, their partners or friends and family. I said, I think we should try and enter a local award. So we entered the Perthshire Chamber of Commerce Business Star Awards for business innovation. And I, what, I'm, what I'm going to say now is I'm making up for the purpose of the conversation, but it's along the, the lines of we were shortlisted to three. There was one guy there who'd put a man in the moon and one guy who'd found you know some cure towards cancer. There was Big Andy from Glasgow who'd stuck a fridge on a wall. I mean, and, these are all comparable. Yeah, yeah. And we actually won business innovation. <laughs> Which, how that happened, who knows? But you can imagine that. The guy's sitting there going, you know, I, I've invented this the most mind-boggling thing and I'm trying to cure the world and I've done this potato starch extract thing that's going to cure such and such. And there's this Muppet here who's stuck a fridge in a wall and he's won. But we did. <laughs> and even to this day, roll forward all these years, it is still a brilliant talking point. So the idea was that with downstairs in the shop was the coffee shop. And upstairs was private hire. It was overspill. It was afternoon teas. It was kids' Willy Wonka parties. It was meetings and event space. So that that put us in in good stead. And but you, you're also you're you're kind of being true to your own word there as well about the experience. That in itself is giving people an experience. Let alone any of the the food and beverage that you're you're selling them uh, at the time. You know the the opportunity to walk through a fridge door to go up some stairs into a secret room. Couldn't agree yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. Well, it is cool. We had a kid's birthday party. Uh, it was only it was only a mum and dad and two kids. And it was because obviously there's social distancing with, with Corona at the minute. And it was, a, it was a kid's birthday party on Saturday. The kid was one. Mum and dad uh, have been coming here for all, all their time. And we got the most beautiful thing saying, you've set our kid's first, first birthday party off. The bar is so high. I'm not sure what we'll do next year. <laughs> thought, you know, that, that's when you know that you're doing something right you know yeah. I, I i am not in this for a quick buck if i was i wouldn't be in known authority you know, this, is, this is about community this is about uh, local this is about giving back it's about fun it's about engagement and just you know and i i, I am so grateful for the fact that we've been so heavily supported after that sort of rocky start yeah so so with heaven sent i say we went with the coffee shop downstairs with the place upstairs there's a garden outside we call the secret garden which is a sort of seasonal space for about 60 covers. And for, those, for those two days of the year? For two days of the year, but it's amazing the number of cyclists that come and it could be knee-deep in snow and I'm sitting outside, son, for a hot chocolate. <laughs> so, you know, we're going good. We've, as I say, we've got the, the Heaven Sent stuff, we've got the Knock Hill stuff, we've got the catering, the vending, the buffets, and I felt I wasn't busy enough. So I decided that I was going to open a restaurant <laughs> in Perth City Centre. And we did, and it was an absolute uh, monumental disaster. Right. So this is where the people listening go, well, this has been a great story. Hasn't he done well until now? Yeah. So, well, that, that's a, it's a turning point in the in the trailer that we're putting together here as well. It is, um, Phil. This is, this is now going down. The pedal. The pedal yeah, is coming very, in. A very different path. So 
I, uh, I've never borrowed a penny, never borrowed a penny. I have worked hard, I have saved, and I have a very, very separate story, which if I've got time, I'll tell you, you know, during our conversation. But I made a few quid during the time I was running the hotels. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll tell it now because it's all relevant. There was a toy back in the day called Beanie Babies. Okay. Um, do, uh, do you remember the, the Beanie Babies? They came out in the sort of the 90s. It was a wee cuddly toy. And they were, they, were, they were all different names. There was cats and huskies and elephants and giraffes, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I love a quotation. And my favorite quote is, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for in doing so, some have entertained angels without realizing. Nice. And I think it's a bit of a belt. I believe it's a Hebrew expression. Right. And when I was uh, doing the, the Pitlochry stint, and I do a workshop, and it's called A Scotsman, an American, and a Beanie Baby walk into a bar. <laughs> to cut a very, very long story short, because I'm very aware of time, uh, this workshop takes two hours. But the essence is, I looked after a customer one night. The customer was very impressed with the service, posted me over a package from America. Uh, his name was Greg Wallace, not the bald master chef spoon-sucking or biscuit-based Greg Wallace. <laughs> Uh, Gregory Wallace from Carroll Stream, Illinois, Chicago, turned out that I had given him a CD of the music that was playing in the bar that night. He took the CD back, launched the career of this band. He was one of the founding directors of Tower Records, which I didn't realize. And I'm really, I'm really paraphrasing a story here. And in this package of thankfulness for you know introducing him to some good new Scottish bands was the original 10 Beanie Babies. The 10 beanies were Ant, Batty, Claude, Derby, Erin, Flitter, Glitter, Hipty, Hoppity, Floppity. Of course. I was just just about to say that. I knew it was on the tip of your tongue. He then said to me, do nothing with these. I did nothing with them. Years went by. They became one of the most sought-after toys in the world. I was probably two years ahead of everybody else, and I started buying them and selling them at Inverbeg. We renamed Inverbeg Inverbeanie, and as a result, I was making the same amount of money by buying and selling on what was then Ask Jeeves. This was before Google. Uh, God, God, you're you're showing your age now. Really old. Uh, We've now got a sort of version of eBay and we're buying and selling them. And I was making as much money as I was as my salary. So when I did take that step to go self-employed, I'd actually made some decent money from buying and selling beanies. So although I've never borrowed a penny, I was very, very lucky that by me being kind to a stranger, that stranger was kind to me. Going back to the lecture from the food tech, seeing something in me. Uh, and that's what, you know, it's about finding wee nuggets, wee opportunities. And, uh, I, I, you know, and I, and I knew it was right. So although I'd never borrowed money, I was always lucky that I'd been quite good at making it. But uh, yeah. a good friend of mine said, let's open a restaurant in Perth. Between your wheeler dealer business knowledge and my corporate acumen, it should work. And at the highest level, it didn't. And it didn't for a number of reasons. I It was a step too far for me. I couldn't juggle the cat, the coffee shop. I couldn't juggle knock hill, catering, vending, buffets, other bits and bobs. That probably comes back to your, your point about giving 100%, right? Oh, you're, um, you're giving it 5% if you're it, lucky. It was horrific. The day you jump in your car and you're driving to something that you own and you feel sick before you go in, you feel nervous because you don't know what you're going to, out of control, out of control. Uh, He got promoted through his work and therefore had to to move away and therefore couldn't deliver uh, his side of it. 
I couldn't do it without him. It was a step too far for me. So on my LinkedIn, you know, 55% return on investment, absolutely true. I sold the lease for 55% more than I paid for it, but I lost a fortune. Right. Lost a fortune. And I I would go at nighttime and say to Jimmy, who's that? Well, that's Phil Street. Oh, what does Phil Street do? He's your new head chef. Oh, what happened to the last one? Oh, we sacked him. Why? Oh, he was stealing. All oh, right. Do we not get a say in who, who's working here? And then it turned out that Phil had been sacked from X, Y, and Z. And it just, it very quickly manifested into a, I can't keep up. I, I couldn't can, keep up. We had, can we just uh, clarify that uh, that you were using my name just for the purposes of the story there? <laughs> Not actually. This is not me, you, and me uh, reconnecting over that uh, that particular moment. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And uh, you know, good good point, well made. And it, just, <laughs> it was out of control. And I went to visit my dad one night, and my dad said to me, "Son, uh, I'm going to tell you the story of uh, of Nelson, and as Nelson stood in the bridge and watched his uh, armada sink, you know, it was a step too far in life." You know, we get one chance. We get one chance to make a first impression. We get one chance to live life. It's not a dress rehearsal. He went, get out. You know, if you yeah. lose if you lose money, you have got a proven track record of earning money. Yes, you will have a lot of debt. You know, your grit and determination will pay off in the passage of time. Uh, just, you know, keep your head up, look yourself in the mirror. So we made sure that every supplier was paid. We closed the business, we sold it on. And we you, you dust yourself down. But I was... I was very mindful that that could either cripple you or make you. And there was absolutely no way that was going to cripple me. None at all. None at all. It, it wasn't in my nature. But what it would do is I would look at the good. I would celebrate the success. Uh, I believe that almost like a sort of success leaves clues. You know, when it's good, why is it good? Uh, we should catch people doing the right thing. But similarly, identify when it goes absolutely wrong and hopefully put systems in place to stop it going wrong. Yeah, I think that as, I, as I'm older and wiser now, and that, that was 2014, so in the six years since closing that, I look back now and I, I, there's a number of reasons as to why it failed. But fundamentally, it was too big a building to run as a part-time project without being there all the time. It was a monster. Right. It was huge right. and, and we didn't do it justice. But I then decided that I needed to do something else because I didn't want to come back and suffocate the guys at the restaurant, the coffee shop, and the catering. So lots of friends of mine had were opening pubs and bars and hotels and visitor attractions or managing properties. And they would say, could you help me with this? Could you help me with that? What's your thoughts on this? What's your thoughts on that? And literally out of that, Victus was formed. And... I describe Victus as a real-life Ramsey Kitchen Nightmares restaurant man meets the hotel inspector with a little dribble, the merest soup song of Alex Polizzi. And it's <laughs> helping, supporting, nurturing SMEs. It's people with any links to hospitality that just want to speak to somebody, advice, help. And the word consultant is a, is a very interesting word because... I was once told, oh, if you're a consultant, you will then steal my watch and then charge me to tell you what the time is. And I thought, how, how dare you? And that is absolutely not me. Because I still physically own bricks and mortar, I, I understand auto-enrollment, furlough, flexible furlough, GSS, pensions, deduction working sheets, because I physically do it every day myself with my own businesses. It makes you relevant when you're going to hopefully add value to somebody else's. 
For sure. And well, not only that, right? I mean, the, the, the fact that you've had an adversity story as well as just not just pure success, as it were, from a, 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 let's say, a financial perspective, that actually, that's a valuable lesson for any business as well, because you probably would be able to read signs that something is going the wrong way. Whereas if you just had a, a pure straight line upwards, you know, then um, how do you know when badness is coming? I think that's a great point, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's so obvious. It's so obvious when you look back that I think that I don't know if it was ego. I don't know if it was naivety. I don't know if it was fear, but there's something in you says, I'll make this work, but I'm just going to take a few more quid out of a different bank account just to pay that bill, and I'll pay it back. And you know you won't. You know you won't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I call it the piggy bank analogy. I'm just going to take 20 quid out of the piggy bank, and I'll put it back later. What you're basically saying to yourself is, I'm taking 20 quid. I've got absolutely no intention of putting that 20 quid back. And that was a bit, a bit like it. So when you do go into people and they say, why would I use you rather than your competition? Well, I believe it is sleeves rolled up. It is advice. It is, I will tell you what I would do with your business as if I owned it. And, I, and as you just said a minute ago, Phil, I can tell you when there's potential writings and on the wall, I can tell you about wonderful opportunities and about low-hanging fruit. And if this were mine, this is what I would do. Uh, and and I think that makes you a lot more realistic. And I think that, you know, 2014, as I say, I set up Victus. That's six years now. And it has literally become a full-time job. In fact, it is, it is a full-time job. And I would say that I spend a day a week still in the coffee shop. I gave up Knockhill last year. Three years ago, we opened another cafe in Dunfermline, in a place called the Dunfermline Carnegie Library and Galleries. And that actually sadly fell in June this year with Corona. Right. So again, when we talk about uh, adversity, you know, turmoil, tough times, that was a concession in the most beautiful five-star visitor attraction overlooking Dunfermline Abbey. Dunfermline Abbey is where uh, Sir Robert the Bruce is buried. It's where William Wallace's mother is buried. It's where they filmed the Outlaw King. It was a five-star attraction and it was magnificent. But mm. the concessional monthly fees in relation to reduced numbers of people, social distancing, closing early, close for sterilization, deep cleaning, it just made it unsustainable. Yeah. So, so, uh, regrettably, there's there's too many in that situation, isn't there, really? It's, it's devastating. It is, it is genuinely devastating. And when I talk to other people and they say, I see the writings on the wall, you know, from a commercial point of view, I'm sure I can help you. From a, a heartstrings point of view, I actually just want to help you because if I can keep somebody else open, then I feel that like I'm doing my bit for, you know, for Queen and Country. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and, and that comes back actually to your, your underlying message on hospitality. I mean, actually what you're doing there is, is actually just demonstrating hospitality but in a business sense rather than it being you're know, offering a a, um, a product to a, a consumer yeah um you know it's uh, it's still hospitality it's uh it, you know and it's still clearly something that you that really drives you i think if, if every day you can look yourself in the mirror and say i've done my best i've been who i said i'm i'm not trying to be who i'm not i saw a great quote on instagram on the first of january this year and it said this will be the year I'm not trying to be who I'm not for people I've never met. Right. And I thought, that's great, isn't it? Just, that's going to take me about five minutes to get my head around that. Just, yeah. I'll come back to it. 
Yeah, and it's just <laughs> be you. You know, the people that are close to you, the people that care for you, the people that love for you, the people that have got your uh, respect through your career, just through longevity, you know, just uh, perseverance and just being a, a good person. I think, to me, that's everything. That's everything. Yeah, and yes, I agree. You know, with your consultancy head, there's decisions you have to make. There's there's th- there's things that there's there's conversations you have where you think you know we need to have this in the car park because the language that's about to come out of me is absolutely foul. But sometimes it has to be said. And you know, and I, there's been a few times I've been speaking now. I'm thinking I could have dropped a wee swear word in there, but I'll try my damnedest just to You've try. Actually, done quite well because I, I think it is. It's another thing that we're kind of known for, isn't it? Oh. Uh, be it having the tongues that we've got is that It's just part of the vocabulary. It's vile. So we've got 51 minutes in. We're doing good. And we're that's doing, very yeah. good. We're very doing good. Twice I've had to think of my answer before I said it. There, thinking <laughs> I could see it without dropping a uh, an expletive in. Uh, yeah. So. You're right, and sometimes you know you've got to have these nasty conversations. But you're not na- you're not being nasty to the person; you've been nasty to the situation. And yeah. what I hear an awful lot now is, "It's not my fault." To which my staple answer is, "No, it's not." But it's your responsibility to try and find solutions to the problem we're, we're dealt with. Yeah, well, that's that's a great response actually, because I think a lot of the time, it it is about you know let's just kind of sweep this under the carpet, but actually. If you take responsibility, you can't affect what's happened. It's happened. But take responsibility of, as to how we move this forward. Yep, yep, yep. And my, my other kind of key line that goes hand in hand with that is to say, okay, you're right. It's not your fault, your responsibility. But who got you here isn't going to necessarily get you there. Yeah. They look at you and go, what do you mean by that? And you go, you know, we're on a journey. Sometimes we have to stop and look at where we are on this journey. And there's some people on the path that will only take us to a certain part then sometimes we need to strengthen the, the team. Conversely, if I, if I put it into a, a football term, you have players that at the height of their career are a striker, and as they get older, they get put back, back, back to maybe being a defender because they can still add super value, but maybe they've not got the, the engine in the legs as much. Mm. So it's always about looking at that person's business to say, who do we have? Where is the magic? Where is the baggage? Who is good at a particular thing, and just and, and working with what we've got? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, that that is that is Victus. What was interesting out the back of Victus is we we got rid of Knockhill last year. We'd done our nine ten years, and it was the right time to move on. I knew that with the consultancy that there was so much demand for doing what I do that Knockhill was now in a position that it was. It was better now than when we got it. We passed it on to the next person who's going from strength to strength with it. And I wanted to sort of strip it all back down to how do I put the systems in place that heaven sent between downstairs, upstairs, outside, catering, vending, can run with my team. I can still add value and influence, but I concentrate on Victus all the time. And I I found very quickly there became a, a demand for public speaking. Um, yeah, I, well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was that was on my list to discuss. Uh, the the public speaking is interesting because what I found was somebody would say you're quite big, you wear a lot of tweet, you're quite memorable. <laughs> could, you, could you come and talk about X, Y, and Z? So you've got a beard now as well, haven't you? I, that's right. I it's, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm turning to ZZ Top. Uh, <laughs> so what I found was that people would say. We want somebody that's a wee bit controversial that isn't, you know, 
theoretically, consequently, fundamentally, the subsection paragraph, what does that mean? Just speak to me as if you're talking to your granny and just, you know, talk normally. So I found that in 2014, 15 and 16, I very quickly got on the speaker circuit and I would attend the speciality food fair, Scott Hot, the chocolate show, things at Excel, Olympia. Uh, yeah, well, it, it was Excel where you and I had contact. I um, I was, uh, I don't even know how I was given this gig, but I was invited to chat on a panel discussion at the Food and Drink Expo uh, with regards to, I think it was something to do with future talent. Yep. And being being a recruiter, I suppose I might have a couple of things to say uh, on that. But what I remember about that was you were comparing that or or hosting it or whatever you call it when you're leading the panel discussion. And I was cacking my pants uh, <laughs> bef- before I uh, went. It was my first ever time of doing anything like that. And all I remember was being introduced to you and you were super organized. You had and you asked me, uh, so how do you want me to introduce you? Which obviously... I never then reciprocated when I introduced you. I just went ahead and did my own thing. Yeah. Um, and um, you just made me feel super comfortable and re- and a, a bit more relaxed. I wouldn't say I was fully relaxed because it was still outside the comfort zone. And that's I, I always remember that. that um, and it made me want to, to do more of that sort of thing. Well, that's very kind. Interestingly, I also was cacking my pants because I was also new to it. Really? I- yeah, and I remember around about that time, there was a TV show called Mr. Selfridge. And yeah. I remember literally the night before our first encounter, and it was the first episode of the pilot episode, and Mr. Selfridge stands in his office and he looks in the mirror and he takes about 20 deep breaths and he goes, you can do it, you can do it. And he turns and he pushes open his double doors, walks out to the veranda, looks into the store, claps his hands and went, good morning, everybody. And they all went, good morning, sir. And they all came go, my God, that's a man on his game. Yeah. <laughs> I you and I, I was round the back doing that pre-about to want to be sick, drinking water, thinking, you can do it, you can do it. Why am I so sweaty? Why am I having a heat wave? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then as soon as you do it and you come off stage, you go, that was absolutely outstanding. Yeah. That's the thing for me is that the learning for me in that, beyond actually you know, being confident in having your own opinion in a public domain – was that exact point of actually the fear of doing it was far greater than actually doing it. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I understand, and I, I watch how I word this, how famous people, people that are that are in the public eye, fall into a slippery slope because you've had that absolute adulation, people looking at you, hanging off everything you say, and then you go home to sit in the telly and watch the one show, A Pot Noodle. Yeah, but again, it's and, and the giant scale of things. All we are doing is we are trying to we're putting our point across. It's, it's profiling, it's PR, but it's also it's, it's entertainment. Yeah, you know we are, we are talking topics in hospitality that, in theory, you could Google, you could go on YouTube and find the answers. But if we can say, well, this is my opinion. You might not agree with me. However, you've asked me to be here because I've got something to say. This is mine, and I'll give you a great example of that. I was speaking at an event during lockdown by Zoom uh, for a, a company in Edinburgh. And there was about 200 people on this Zoom. And they were talking about how you save hospitality. How do we save tourism? How do we save the industry? 
And there was all these Professor McSuch and Suchies talking about all these qualifications after the name, you know, B and Q, MFI, CNA, all these different fancy letters. <laughs> and uh, they, they're, they're all giving you their, their political stance and their, you know, all, the, all, all their big high tech stuff. And I said, look, can I, can I throw my tuppence in here? I think that's a load of absolute verbal diarrhea. Absolute nonsense. I said, I'll tell you how we fix it. And I said, and of course, with Zoom, you've got the wee box down the side. You can see all the comments coming in. Mm. Can I tell you how I think we fix this? I think, go with me here in a wee story. A man asks a girl out on a date and she says yes. And they're going to go out that weekend on the Saturday night for dinner for the sake of argument. And she lays out eight or nine items on the week leading up to the date to find which I, which clothing is she going to wear. And then within that, is she doing the hair up, the hair down? Is she doing big earrings or no earrings? Is it hoops or is it studs? Big nails, no nails, what perfume? Oh, do I wear a dress? Do I wear a skirt? Do I wear trousers? The whole shebang. And then she gets her pal involved and she comes over to the house and they pick the outfit, which invariably, I would imagine, will be the first outfit for selected. Then she, she goes on the date. The guy picks her up and says... You look beautiful. And here it comes. She says, this old thing, okay, I just threw it together. <laughs> she has spent the entire week panicking over this decision. Why can't she not just say, do you know what? You're absolutely right. I look fabulous. Fabulous. I've put time, effort, and energy into me so that you appreciate the work so that in turn you can see that I'm also investing in us or the potential of us. I said, for British hospitality, British people, you know, apart from the fact we love to stand in a queue, we are absolutely awful at boasting. Oh, yeah. God. Terrible. Awful. So see if you live in Blair Gowrie and you've got the best berries that go into Ribena. Tell everybody. If you're in Nuneaton in Warwickshire and you've got a wee baker that does the best such and such, tell people. If you've got a hotel in Liverpool, tell me about your Egyptian cotton sheets and the turn-down service and the beautiful such and such that are in the rooms. If you're on the island of Skye and you've got langoustines or lobsters getting caught that day and then brought into Portree and you know they've been literally hand-dived two hours beforehand and it's in, it's in my dinner plate. Why are we not as a team boasting? And I say a team, I'm talking Britain. Why are, not, why are we not as a team looking after our wingman, looking after our community, boasting collectively. That, I believe, is how we fix British hospitality. So I, f I finished this rant and I looked down at the comment boxes and I thought, oh, Andrew's going off in one here. And what <laughs> was absolutely brilliant. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for speaking from the heart. Thank you for being humble. And out the back of that, I got a phone call from a lady from Sky, uh, Sky TV, and she said, we love your voice. Could we start using you for Sky adverts? Oh, wow. So I thought when you said Sky initially, I thought you meant you got a phone call from a hotel in Sky who said, actually, we do that with our Langostines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a lady from Sky advertising to say, could we now use your voice for adverts on Sky? So I've actually now done three during lockdown and two of them are actually on Sky right now uh, being run. And Fantastic. And it's just, and again, going back to our do not forget to show hospitality speech of earlier, we've got no idea who it is we're talking to half the time. We've got no idea what little things we do that can have a massive impact on somebody else. And where we might not be having the greatest of day, if we come to work, the curtain goes up at nine o'clock and we open our doors at nine o'clock, we're on stage as a performance, it's being hospitable. And it's just it's just all about you know exceeding our customers' expectations, and that's that's always been my thing. If somebody can leave 
whether it's a workshop, whether it's training, whether it's an advert, whether it's consultancy, whether it's coffee shops and go, I like what they do because it's genuine and it's honest. And that's, yeah. a, that's a good day at work for me. Yeah, but people can see it, right? That's the thing is that they, if it comes from the heart and actually what you're delivering is this thing that you deeply, deeply care about, then that comes across in everything that the, the, the guest then experiences. Um, and it's what comes back to you one of your very early points is that actually hospitality it's not complicated no No. Um, but then you 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 then pump behind this message of that we have the best hospitality in the world um, which i'm sure many other countries would say this exactly the same thing but the uh, you know we've got to at least start believing it yeah yeah and and shouting from the rooftops and standing arm in arm with our our comrades and and looking after each other. And it's funny, I remember years ago, there was lots of hotels and restaurants were very precious about their recipes and precious about their ingredients. Now I can go online and I can download a Oaxaca menu or a Wagamama ramen bowl or whatever. You know, I'll never be able to cook it as well as them because I've not got their pots and I've not got their pans. I've not got their their equipment. But what I have got is I've got an insight into it. And now it's, I believe it's all about sharing best practice. Look at Instagram. Everybody is a food expert. Everybody is a blogger. Everybody is a, a hotel reviewer. And it's, there's, there's something lovely about just seeing what's good out there and just helping. Absolutely. I love seeing all the uh, attempts at sourdough bread. And then you get somebody like Cherish Finden who does a, a real sourdough bread. And you go, just go to sleep, everyone else. Well, I, This I, is I, the sourdough I, for me. You're right. I last night for the first time made homemade doner kebab. And it was <laughs> absolutely outstanding. But as I sit here now, I'm now on my third one litre of water. Right. <laughs> uh, bad, bad decision the day before recording a podcast. I mean, uh, but, and, and it's funny, you mentioned earlier about, you know, deep, you use the words deeply care. I, one of the things I am deeply passionate about within the hospitality industry is, is mental health and mental well-being. Yeah. And... I know it's, it's words that's bandied about an awful lot. And it's a bit like a few years ago when, you know, vegan, pescatarian, there, there seem to be people jumping on bandwagons, I believe, for the wrong reason. And I think I with mental health, there's too many people that play, and I word this diplomatically, they play a mental health card when it's potentially not mental health, which is being very unfair on people who are suffering to any lesser or greater extent with mental yeah. health. So I mentioned earlier about the lecturer at the college who cashed in the favour. And he helped me get my first general manager's job at 22. He's the one that came back to me and said, I would like you to come and speak to this uh, HND sport and management class. He got in touch with me a year ago and said, I am setting up a mental health charity called Hospitality Health. I would like you to sit with another guy, my two daughters and myself as one of the founding uh, five trustees uh, would you join us on this journey? And it has been an incredible year for us. It's just been absolutely brilliant. We meet monthly by Zoom at the minute. It used to be monthly face-to-face. We fundraise. We do mental health first aid training. We offer for certification. We are a body to uh, advise for people. And the thing with mental health is it doesn't necessarily just have to, you know, it could be drink, it could be drugs, it could be depression, it could be suicide. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a, a wide area for discussion now. And 
I'm actually going in mental health first aid training with them next Monday so that hopefully I can go back into my business. And I actually said to them recently, I'd like to put one of my managers on the course. Is that really selfish? Because surely somebody else could benefit from that place. And they, they, they reminded me, they went, Andrew, by you putting your manager on that course, if she herself can take a couple of nuggets from that, if she can see things within her work team or identify wee things that need to be addressed, that's the most unselfish thing you could actually say. Yeah. Uh, so I am hugely excited and, and, and passionate about it. And it's, it's lovely uh, to be able to give your time for absolutely no reward other than your own self-gratification, the fact that you are doing something good and helping other people. And that's something that I hope to continue with for a long, long time. And just it's, it, it's lovely to be involved in that. That's brilliant. Yeah, I had no idea that you were doing that. Actually, I did uh, read somewhere that you that you did a trek across the Great Wall of China. Was that to raise money for this? That was no. That's a, that's a great question. That was there's a there's a charity in Scotland called Hit Scotland, which is the Hospitality Industry Trust, yeah. and every year they raise money to give opportunities to people within hospitality. And I mean, irrespective of what level you're at, you could be a kitchen porter wanting to go up a level. You could be a chef looking to what's next. You could be an experienced general manager in a hotel. And we we have about 20 different scholarships every year available. So it could be to go to Lausanne in Switzerland and learn management. It could be go to go with Helen Vass, who is on the Great British Bake Off and understand pastry. It could be to go to London, work with Drake and Morgan to understand cocktails, mixology, multi-site operators. Um, I've done quite a bit of mentoring with people that just wanted to get a scholarship with somebody who was walking the walk and saying, how do I set up myself? I'd like to open up my own cook school in London. Can I come and work with you for a week? So we, we fundraise lots of money. And obviously now is a difficult time to do it just with the way the world's falling apart. But uh, four years ago, I think it was twenty. It was it was twenty sixteen. Uh, we did a trek, we did nine days on the Great Wall of China. So that Fantastic. was that was the idea was that you you paid your own way, and then on top of that, you had to fundraise a certain amount of money. I did a Kaylee, I did prizes, raffles. Uh, brilliant wee story. Lots of my friends who were big hotel general managers could put on a dinner. And say that dinner was worth £70. They would charge their, their friends £100, and that was £30 a person times 100 people. All of a sudden, they were, you know, two-thirds of the way through their fundraising figure. But yeah. me being a sort of one-man band, there's only so many £1 raffle tickets that you can sell. Yeah. So I was on a train going down to London, and I'm sitting in the train, and there's a guy sitting opposite me, eyeballing me. And I thought, it's just really awkward. And I'm working away, and I looked at the guy, and I was like, can I help you? And this guy went, no, yes, I'm fine, thank you. And I went, oh, here, it's Alistair Darling, the MP. <laughs> that was actually a really good impression. I know that. And I said, uh, Alistair, can I ask you a wee favour? I said, and I explained the whole story. I said, I'm walking the bit of the Great Wall of China. And he went, oh, you're walking it all. And then I did some homework. And apparently only three people have ever walked the wall back to back. And it takes two years. So, Well, it's something like, is it not like 20 thousand kilometers or something like that it's it's obscene Aye, it goes into inter and outer mongolia and back into china and it's absolutely ginormous yeah so you know we, we were walking uh, i'll come back to my Alistair, darling we were walking sections that the guy said to us our guide if you walk any further you're now not insured and as soon as somebody says that to me that says to me let's keep on walking this is brilliant <laughs> and there was a guy he's got a company up in scotland called highland game 
uh, a big guy called Christian, and he said to me one day, Andrew, we will run. So we actually ran a section of the Great Wall of China listening to ACDC. And this is one of these things I say to myself, I will always have that story now. Nobody can yeah. take that away. You know, and it's Absolutely. The, sto- the stories are massively important. I, I, I think they're, they're, they make up such a big part of us all. A hundred, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, anytime I meet my pals and I say, you know, what, what's the story? I must tell you about this. I must tell you about that. So I said to Alistair Darling, look, I'm walking about the Great Wall of China. I'm struggling to get to the fundraising figure because I've not got the, the tools or access to some of the big players. I don't suppose I could record you just saying, I'm Alistair Darling. I'm far too busy to go to China doing what I do, but please sponsor Andrew. And he went, with pleasure. Fantastic. I was like, right then. So I got Alistair Darling, and then on the train, I was going down to London for the for Hit Scotland's London Lunch, and that's cooked by Theo Randall. So I said to the, the waiter, I said, what's the chance of speaking to Theo? And you come. So I went into the kitchen, and I said to Theo, Theo, I know you're far too busy being Theo Randall and doing cookbooks and TV. I don't suppose you'd record me with pleasure. So I then got Aldo Zilli. I got some people in Scotland called Grant Stott, who is a radio presenter, TV presenter, Andy Gray, who was in uh, River City, Take the High Road, all this malarkey. Uh, I then uh, was doing catering out at a local stables the weekend that one for Arthur won the Grand National. So I said to the lady that looks after the stables, any chance of one for Arthur appearing in my video as well? Aye, no problem at all. <laughs> I've now got about 15, 20 people. Uh, in Scotland, we've got Judith that presents the weather on the BBC. I've got Judith doing it. I've got all these different people I've met at Pie Awards or Italian Judging Awards. And I said, look, can I, can I make up a video? So I recorded a video, put it on my wee YouTube channel, stuck it on social media, and the Scotsman newspaper picked up on it and then reshared that story. So overnight, I think I got an extra 12, 1400 quid through my Just Giving page by creating a wee video and a couple of papers picking up on it and, and resharing it. Um, so all of a sudden, that's amazing, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So all of a sudden, I'd made my money, and that was us away out to China. Do you know what it also highlights yeah. is that, uh, despite public opinion, that uh, politicians can be human sometimes. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, they've all got a job to do, whether we agree, disagree, and that's that's one of my things with consultancy. We don't talk religion, we don't po- talk politics, and we don't talk football, especially if you're in Glasgow. Oh, um, yeah. You know, we, we keep that to a minimum. But you're right, they're, they're just doing their job as we're doing ours, um, but they're not working, they're just the same as us. Yep, absolutely. Same of any celeb. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's I can see we're an hour 13 in. It's, it's been quite a journey. It's, uh, there, was, there was never a path, there was never a game plan. We mentioned earlier about fate. Uh, I just do what I do and, and seek opportunity. Uh, I have been so grateful for the consultancy and for every day, I am consulting, and I've, you know, some of the clients I've looked after: Aberdeen Performing Arts, Black Ivy, McSorley's, Leeds Beckett University. Done work in Liverpool, London, Manchester, all over Scotland, uh, Tangier, stuff in Italy. You know, I've, I've been very, very blessed with just being so busy. And although I have the website, although I have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, it's all word of mouth. Yeah. I also get the uh, impression, I think it, it's helpful, you know, that, I mean, that, that little story you just gave us there about uh, asking these people if they could just do a little ditty for you yeah. highlights the, the age-old cliche of, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. And I, I get the, the feeling that, you, that you're not 
scared of asking if you if you, you know if you feel something would add value to what what you need. Well, picking up on that, when I was doing the, it's a great point. When I was picking up doing the the China fundraising, one of my local ladies came in, a lady called Vi Todd, and she said, Andrew, I'm now going to become your fundraising committee manager. And I said, Vi, I was not aware I needed such a thing, but now you mention it, it's got a certain ring to it. Yeah. And said, Andrew, when you get to my age in life, there's only two answers to a question: yes or no. I will go up to people and businesses and say. Would you like to sponsor Andrew? And if they say yes, that is great. If they say no, I will keep on asking them till they say yes. <laughs> Brilliant. I thought that's absolutely, and I think you get to this stage that you know who you are. You've grown into the shoes of the person you're supposed to be. And you know, you can't please everybody. And as long as you're not taking it personally, it is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, and I think there's also, it's clear that you, you go about things in a professional way. It's like, you know, you're not ramming things down people's throats uh, or anything like that the one thing i will say actually is that um normally when i research people before they before they come on the show uh, sometimes it can be really difficult to find articles and things Uh, in your case i actually it was more difficult to find an article that you weren't in to be honest (laughs) yeah yeah you know if you can see me i'm actually blushing no i'm not all over Uh, (laughs) i think that what what was interesting was that I, i can answer that you know, if, if you Google search the name Andrew Scott, it is actually common as muck. There's tons of Andrew Scotts out there. There's a very well-known chef uh, in England uh, I speak to on Twitter called Andrew Scott, and that's always very bizarre, Andrew Scott talking to Andrew Scott. There yeah. is the architect that designed the Kelpies visitor attraction in Falkirk in Scotland, wow. Andrew Scott. The baddie in Sherlock Holmes, uh, Andrew Scott, who was also in James Bond. So there's, yeah. there's quite a few of us. But, and that's why I put the D in, so it was always Andrew D. Scott, just, and, and D is for David, but also it's, it's to differentiate, it's to make sure that you are remembered. And I, I always say to people that I consult with, people will never necessarily remember the meal they had, the accommodation they had, uh, or how much they spent. They'll remember how you make them feel. Yeah. They'll remember the emotional connection. And I went on at first with Victus on this one-man mission to say, I want to be in everything. I want to be at the forefront of people's minds. So I, I got a book. I wrote a book. Uh, and I got it published on, <laughs> a bit blasé. Uh, an author had a thing up on LinkedIn to say, I want to speak to somebody who's quite entrepreneurial. And that's a word that does my head in. People say, I'm an entrepreneur. No, you're not. You're just somebody with many businesses. Other people may refer to you as entrepreneurial, in which case I love that. And that's like the big, the big your beauty. But I would never call myself yeah. that. But there was a, an author on LinkedIn saying, looking to speak to somebody who's got entrepreneurial flair about a chapter from my book. So I got in touch, gave him the story that we've spoken about today. And he said, we can't do a chapter. We need to do a book about you. This is brilliant. So we got a wee book published and it only takes an hour to read. And what I did was at first when I set up Victus, I got Victus branded tea bags made and the book. And I would post it out to potential clients. I would buy a copy of the Caterer magazine. I'd go to the very back. I would see that the, the Duck and Pond pub had sold. I would find out who the new owner was, post them the book, post them the tea bags and say, while you're on a break, have a cup of tea on me, read the book. If you like my banter, if you like my chit chat, if you like the cut of my jib, perhaps yeah. we could do business together. If you read it and think absolute rubbish, then no harm done. The book will now balance a wonky table or will make excellent kindling. Enjoy your day. <laughs> uh, and that so, so, so come back to your your opening line there of uh, you know you're everywhere 
that was always the thing is to if you're going to be be out there be bigger and better and bolder and brasher but don't you know don't be a twat about it just just be, yeah. be normal absolutely and that's definitely the message that comes across and uh, i mean I, I can't claim to have read every single article that came up that uh, that I, I did look at but i did read a few and and i think the the underlying message that i get is that it what well, comes back to the point that you 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 deeply care you know what you're talking about um and you're not being a, a an arse about it yeah yeah I, and that's that's kind i hope so i hope so uh you know we're, we're a long time dead and i think that if we can make a difference while we're here and to me, everything is about reputation. Everything is about reputation. I remember going to a dinner uh, in Dundee when, in 2014, and not long set up Victus. And I think it was the fact that, you know, I was selling this, I was opening that, I was closing this, we're setting up Victus, and I got involved in a wee, a wee drinky-poo. And one thing led to another, and I realised that I had to have a wee seat and my words were coming out, and I was talking absolute verbal diarrhoea. Just making no sense at all. And you know, yeah. you go to a, a dinner, you've got the black tie on, you're looking all very, very swanky. And next minute the tie's off, three buttons are undone, you've lost a cufflink and your hair looks like you've been dragged through a fence. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't know what you're talking about. No. Neither do I. So yeah. I woke up the following morning and thought, oh, this is not a good situation to be in. My head is absolutely burst. And I knew there was something in the bed with me. And I lean over and it's a Domino's pizza box. And I thought, I am not aware of ordering pizza at any stage of the evening. And I went down for breakfast and two of my pals went, you, my friend, were a twat last night. <laughs> and I went, really? And they went, you just you went from being the really funny guy just to being that most annoying human being. I thought, that's interesting. If everything to me is about reputation, it doesn't matter what somebody met you as, it's what they remember you as. Yeah. And then that was me, the, the day I go into work mode. So whether I'm at a dinner, I'll now drive. Whether I'm comparing, I would never, you know, I, I, don't, I don't drink when I'm, when I'm speaking anyway. Uh, but just remember that people don't know you. People judge you. What you do in your own time is entirely up to you. But everything to me is about reputation, professional integrity, knowing that if somebody was to say, could you give a testimonial for Andrew? They go, good guy, does what it says in the tin. And that, yeah. to me, that to me is everything. Yeah, I can relate to the uh, the story of um, being a little bit tipsy whilst doing a public speaking gig. I remember I did a, a little bit of travelling around Australia and uh, kind of did that proverbial found myself uh, on that. And I, that was in a kind of career break. I took six months out to do that. Classic. Um, came back to, to work. I was full of confidence. Nothing I couldn't achieve. That was kind of my ethos at the time. And one of the things that I really connected with when I was in Australia, was stand-up comedy, so I thought when I get back, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a a stand-up comedy show for uh, the crew. I was working on a cruise ship at the time. Great uh, training ground to kind of learn your craft. If you want to go into a career of stand-up comedy, you've got a ready-made audience that are just looking for something a bit different, yep. so you can give them that. But my lesson was was two lessons actually. One, I, I was you know, you talked earlier on about that. Uh, line between confidence and arrogance. Yeah. Uh, one, I was so confident, if we call it that, that I, I wrote 90 minutes worth of material that, uh, bearing in mind that I'd never done this before, wow. so I felt I could go on stage and, and hold an audience for an hour and a half uh, with no experience. Uh, two, I had a bit of a niggly dry cough going into uh, the day of the show, and so before I went on stage, I, I necked a, a, a bottle of port because of the lubricating factor 
and not in one down, I should say, over yeah. the course of a little time. So I went on stage pissed, basically. There's no other way to, to describe it. And I waffled, I think, for about 50 minutes before somebody just came on stage and said, I think we give give Phil a big hand. Well done, Phil. And it was just like, get him off stage. That's that's enough of that. I learned a valuable lesson is uh, know, know your limits as well as you know have the confidence to kind of test them. 100%. And because, because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, exactly. for I've, sure. Absolutely. The niggly throat. I was speaking at a thing at Perth Concert Hall and I had to go on after Mark Bowman. So Mark Bowman had just been around the world again on his bike, smashing records, just doing the unthinkable. And there's me going on after him, some big guy gangling on about beanie babies and thinking. <laughs> and I got up on stage and literally it was the, uh, 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 the throat went. And I'm looking at people as I say, help me, help me. And of course, I didn't take up water with me. And I, I spoke and I forced me through. And it was just... I was never going to do well after him anyway, but it was just absolutely vile. And that's when you say to yourself, you need to do your homework. You need to know your audience. You need to know who's yeah. on before you, after you. Don't try and be the funny guy. Just do what you're paid to do and get on with it and get off. Yeah, great advice. Uh, and a great way to summarize that for sure. Very, very conscious of time, but uh, I feel like I could sit here and chat all day. I think yeah. it, it, you're uh, one of these people that I think has probably got many many stories and uh, i look forward to a time where where we can have a, a few beers and, and regale a few more I would love that. what would you say to somebody who was contemplating a, a a career in hospitality i think that to me it is the greatest industry uh, i think you have to i think the, the the stigma of split shifts long hours that that's a million times better now I think you have to, there's a certain type of person that goes into, to me, hospitality, absolutely. It is the greatest industry. Uh, I think lots of people think of being hospitality, being I'm just a waiter, I'm just a cook. There's no just, first of all, you could be in leisure, you could be in sales, you could be in marketing, you could be in forecasting. No, hospitality is massive. I think it's the greatest, funnest industry. And it's now significantly better paid than it used to be as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it even just, I mean, your your story kind of highlights. And, and in fact, I was editing a, a story that I had with another um, food and drink founder this, just this morning doing that. And the same kind of message was there from the fact that, you know, actually, the it's such an honorable profession to develop things that give people an experience that they're not used to, to having in their own home. And yeah. uh, and giving them these moments of joy and these moments, you know, they're, they're, as as Harry Murray, uh, the the great MD of Luckman Park, says, yeah. you know, this is the industry of dreams. We yeah. make people's dreams come true. Yeah. And I, I, it's like, I, I mean, I, the the way I kind of summarize this for myself is that I, I'm a a, a a wannabe chef, but only in my own kitchen. I've I've never had the aspiration to be a chef in a professional kitchen. So I'll spend all of Saturday to put on a tasting menu for guests that are coming on a Sunday and they'll devour it in the space of 45 minutes, which, you know, something that's taken me all day, but the joy that I get from that and the experience that they get, hopefully a good one, that's to me, what makes this industry so special. You need to have that kind of that desire to want to create this moment of joy in someone else. I, I'm going to pick up that. I think that's an absolutely brilliant point well made. 
I was working down in London a month ago for a client that's got a few sites over Britain. And I walked into a place in Holloway and I saw my menu that I had written with the chef, costings, margins, gross profits, uh, dish specs, food bibles, food photography, training video. I saw my menu on the wall and I walked in and it's not, nothing really surprises me now having done this over 30 years. Yeah. It absolutely took my breath away because I was like, that's my menu. Yeah. And it, it is the greatest feeling thing. There's going to be people coming in here, eating that, thanking us, tipping the staff, rebooking again. I was part of that. And what I say to any team, irrespective of whether it's hotels, restaurants, bars, pubs, the day your product is photographed by somebody for their Instagram, that's a big crisp high five as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Superb. Uh, great. Well, look, I, I'm going to call it there. Uh, I feel like we could go on. But if people want to get a hold of you and learn a little bit more about what we've spoken about today or or actually retain your services, uh, what's the best method for them to do? Fantastic. That? Thank you. So I have my website, which is victusconsultancy.co.uk. I have my speaking website, which is andrewdscottspeaker.com. We are on Instagram at Victus Consultancy, Facebook Victus Consultancy, Twitter Victus Consultancy. That's a bit of a, a brand message there. <laughs> all of the uh, all of the outlets. Yeah. Uh, I also I'll put all of that in the uh, the show notes uh, as well. But uh, Andrew D Scott. It's been uh, an absolute blast to have you on the show, and I really appreciate you sharing your your story with us. Lovely. Thank you so much. It has been brilliant. I can't believe it's an hour and a half. That's been the fastest ever. Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. You're very, very welcome. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers now. Bye-bye. And there we have it. Andrew really is a beacon of positivity for the industry and has achieved so much already. And what about that for a bank of stories? I'm sure we didn't even scratch the surface. Thanks for sharing, Andrew. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm every Wednesday. Until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.